0: Hello, everyone. It is Wednesday, the 11th of October. It's my brother's birthday. Happy birthday, brother. Um, This is the promotional malpractice live chat here on MMAfighting.com. I hope you are doing well. I am doing well. I'm happy to be here. Fun a podcast. Lots of things we can get to today. really depends on what you want to talk about. But, of course, UFC 216 has happened. The debate about who Conor McGregor should fight next rages on with some new interesting wrinkles now that Tony has advanced past Kevin Lee. Um, Mark Honda's is having some issues. Weight cutting is still a big issue. So lots going on today. Uh, and I'm happy to talk about any of it, including the U.S. Men's National Team last night. Taking the dump in the bed, as they are wont to do. Um, Best place to get your questions in, of course, is going to be on MMAfighting.com, where uh, this window is embedded. And uh, you can email me as well, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. Plus, you can get at me on Twitter at LThomasNews, and then you can use the hashtag chat wrappers. All this is explained in the uh, post. And at the last 15 minutes of this, I will take a look at the stuff on Twitter. Okay. Like I said, it's my brother's birthday, which is fun, I guess. I'm not going to see him until the weekend, though. I got my very classy Buffalo Wild Wings glass, which I'm not sure how I even acquired. I got some Coke Zero in it. Mmm. the aspartame. All right. Let's get right to these questions, shall we? All right. First question from geneva switzerland no less at least that's what the person says they are from uh thanks for the content uploaded every week i've given it a thumbs up and subscribe to the channels thank you very much you're a good person all right in a week where an interim title fight was close to being off ufc 216 and a horrific video from Pancrase 290 in japan i'm assuming most of you who are watching this have seen that video it is that might be the i've seen a lot of Bad weight cuts. I've seen a lot of guys struggle on weight cuts. That's worse than just about anything I've ever seen, at least in terms of trying to make it to the scales. Uh, weight cutting is at the center of many MMA discussions again, with various responses and solutions to it. The most obvious and quote unquote easy solution or easy fix to the problem is the creation of more weight classes, 165, 195 as examples. This was brushed aside by Dana instantly. At the post ufc 216 press conference but more excuse me but are more weight classes really the real solution to this dangerous problem fighters might just opt to walk around an extra 10 pounds higher and still cut the same amount in order to be bigger excuse me, to be bigger um to be the bigger fighter jesus what are your thoughts on this greetings from geneva switzerland switzerland home to some of the best dairy i've ever had in my life um Okay, this is a great question, and I'm really happy that we're starting the chat on this kind of a note. So uh, there's a debate raging all over social media right now between journalists and observers and fans and fighters and everyone sort of weighing in here. Um, let me just sort of caution about this as we think more about it. Um, I'm not necessarily opposed to adding more weight classes. In fact, I'm really, really in favor of adding one weight class. Because the way I would see it for men would be 125, 135, 145, 155, change welterweight to 175, add 165, so then you're just adding 165, 165, 175, 185. I would not add 195 or anything changed above that. I don't don't think that would really work. Um, And that would be the most I'd be willing to go. So there's this debate about whether or not adding weight classes would help. And I think some of the reasoning in favor of that idea would be if you're Kevin Lee and your choices are 155 and 170, you know, it's not like you can't compete at 170, but it's hardly optimal, but getting to 155, man, it's really, 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 really difficult. And so it can really impact his ability to get down there. So there's not this sweet spot somewhere in the middle. That's just much more suited for him. And I think in a case like that, uh, Opening up a weight class for people like that to go to would be really, really great. You saw people like Valerie Letourneau, for example, um, you know, try to make 115 and it really took a toll on her. Having 125 is going to make that a little bit easier. So you can imagine, uh, not merely for those two fighters, but a set of fighters where this would be really, really true. Um, and if you have 10-pound increments evenly, it just makes picking... Uh, a slot easier than when you have these fifteen to, in some cases, one eighty-five to two hundred five. These twenty-pound jumps. Now, I'm not in favor of changing that, but you get the idea. It's, it's a, a pretty significant leap. Um, however, I hardly view this as any kind of real solution to weight cutting. Look at how many organizations have catch weights. Look at how many organizations have an expanding number of weight classes. Um, look at how many look at how there are more weight classes now than ever and i don't know that weight cutting is as bad as it's ever been i think some of the barbaric practices are somewhat um have been somewhat removed but it's basically still a really bad problem so you're living in this world where you have more weight classes than ever uh and you have really really bad weight cutting adding one weight class and then adjusting another one five pounds up basically um do I really see this as some kind of solution to the problem? No, I don't. I think it would probably help. Uh, it would ve- it would help probably in a very modest way. I-, I think if you're expecting some kind of sea change by having this kind of, uh, cha- uh, you know, addition, um, that's just not a belief rooted in reality. Um, because the counter argument to adding 165 is not that it's necessarily unhelpful, but if you're trying to simply cut you're just going to cut. So for example, imagine there had been no featherweight weight class when Anthony Pettis um, wanted to move down from 155. It's actually the the lack of a weight class there um, that would have prevented him from cutting substantial amounts of weight. Now he came back up, excuse me, and came to his senses. Jesus Christ. still have to get that new chair. Um, I've looked, by the way. I still haven't found a good one that I want. Um but it's the lack of opportunity that, that that would have kept him in a in a safer spot. If if you really want to cut, um, and you know maybe there's a lot of guys who can't make 155 who want to cut down from you know whatever to 210 who can make 165, they might start doing that. Um, so it it doesn't by it, by itself curb it. It gives some fighters advantages. Um, it gives some fighters a natural weight class, and it and it, it probably would help in certain cases very modestly but if you have more weight classes than you ever have and this problem is still as serious as it is, I I can't understand how someone could reasonably argue that opening up this weight class is some kind of panacea solution. It would be one small addition to a larger battery of changes, not least of which would be tying in some kind of way natural weight, you know, walking weight uh, and then Figuring out from a medical supervision standpoint, what's the most this person could reasonably lose um, at this walking around weight and competing in this weight class. Now, if you have excess fat, let's say you're a heavyweight and you want to make light heavyweight, there could be a moment down the line where you could like readjust, even get down. If you've seen guys from from heavyweight make make it down to middleweight before, and not necessarily with unhealthy cuts, like just naturally cutting fat off their body. So there could be time for remeasurement, but what the what the base standard is, but. Uh, short of medical supervision, short of licensing by medical class, um, um, licensing by medical uh, designation, simply adding one weight class. I I see these all the time, right? Anytime anybody says, I've got the solution to weight cutting, it's X. And X is one thing where it's adding a weight class or... Mat side weigh-ins or same-day weigh-ins. Same-day weigh-ins is the worst idea of them all, of them all, uh, because all these guys are going to take risks if you let them. And, and same-day weigh-ins, without any other kind of supervision, lets them. A terrible, terrible idea. But it's also one of these ideas that's just promoted as the final solution. All you gotta do is just this: just, just have same-day weigh-ins. Just add another weight class. No, those are. The, it's in the case of same-day weigh-ins, it would make the problem worse. And in the case of the adding the the 165, I think it would help very modestly, right? Um, if you wanna get big and strong in the gym, you gotta lift the weights. Taking creatine will help as a supplement to that, but it, it's not by itself gonna do a whole lot. I sort of look at adding 165. I know it's a sort of a weird way to think about it, but I look at adding 165 as a similar kind of thing. It would help as a supplement to the problem, but it is not in any way any kind of real solution. Um, And the other thing you need to think about is um, I'm not opposed to adding 165. I'm really not, at least not in theory. I haven't heard a good argument not to make it, but I am a little bit concerned about what it would do promotionally for them. Now, it's just one weight class, so it's just one belt. But here we have women's flyweight. I really don't know why we added women's flyweight. Yes, it creates a connectivity between the three divisions because now they're all separated by 10 pounds. Um, yes, you're going to get a super fight, it seems, between Shevchenko and you know, Jacek at some point, but beyond that, the weight class, uh, and it, there is some interesting characters in the division in Bellator, and maybe over time it will fill out, but for the time being, for the time being, it's an it's not much of a division where there's a whole lot to look forward to or a whole lot going on. Uh, yes, it prevents certain people like Letourneau from having to go to these extraordinary weight cuts, which is good, but... It, it, you know, I, 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 if we're really looking for the best fighters, that means we have to make tough decisions about what divisions we build, how we build them, how big we build them. You need you need, you need at least 20, 25 fighters for a division, um, if not more. And when you begin to add them in certain places, that doesn't uphold the standard of excellence. And you're seeing that, you know, with that with that Gonzalez Botello fight. And now on the other end, you want to add yet more. I, I, I really worry about what that does to the integrity of the product, which is why I think you saw Dana White so hesitant to make any adjustments to it. Let me just say something. If you want to fix weight cutting, it is probably 10 or 12 steps that have to happen, not one or two. And so if your solution as you watch this is I think X and Y are the solutions, you better add eight or nine or 10 more things to them because that's what it's going to take to fix it, to be quite honest. You're talking about changing a culture. You know how hard it is to change a culture, to change people who, I mean, um, who was it? Mark Twain. It was. It's easier to fool a guy uh, than, convinced, than convince him he's been fooled. Um, and it, it sort of goes with the same idea that, and I don't know if that's Mark Twain. If it's not, forgive me. But it's a, it's a very, I think, astute observation that, In in the long run, if people have this notion that they've held on to something as true or as valuable, changing that perception is extremely difficult to do and takes time and has to have this really comprehensive, you know, binding effect. So, you know, add add 165. Okay, that that might help a little. It's not really a solution in the word what we're using the word solution to mean. It's a helpful addition of very limited change one more note on this i've not seen any data i believe uh some people have come up with it oh by the way it's talking about women's flyweight someone says sets up a stage for potential superstar mackenzie Dern. yeah i mean let's see what she can do in mma first and then andrea lee could draw some views too yeah look there are some interesting people at women's flyweight but generally as a division it's thin very thin Um, and the more divisions you add, the thinner everything becomes, you need to make some careful choices about that. Um, but I asked about if you had to look at the history of UFC weight cuts, um, where are most failed weight cuts or troublesome weight cuts taking place? And by that, I mean, I don't mean Anaheim or Las Vegas. What I mean is what weight you know, you very rarely see somebody, you see it occasionally, you can see it at any every weight class, really. Um, but you don't see it a whole lot at light heavyweight, a little less so at middleweight. I feel like from welterweight down to maybe flyweight a little bit because Ray Borg situation, but I feel like 135, 145, that's really your sweet spot. But I don't know that to be true. I haven't seen enough data to support that. Um, I would like to see where do most weight cuts fail? And I think once we get an answer for that, we can then begin to say is adding 165 and then changing 170 to 175, a meaningful help in that regard. Again, I do think it will help, but I, my hunch is that even if we found out most of the failing is around 155 to 170, you could say, well, adding 165 fixes that. You still have a pretty healthy dose of failure at 155, at 145, at 135, even at 125. Again, it wouldn't fix any of those problems because um, it's someone who's trying to make 125, and 135, it's not even a problem associated with those weight classes up at 155, 165, 175. They can't make those weight classes anyway. Um, it, it just has a really narrow effect. You need to figure out how do we get someone at those at that range at 125, 135 to make a healthier decision about going to 135. And conversely, 135, 145, 145 155, you get the idea. Uh in light of DC's slurred speech during UFC 216 and his erratic behavior after the K lost and loss fight, do you think there are any signs of brain trauma? I think that's a bad question. Um, someone's asked about one championships rules where I believe they weigh you uh, some sort of natural walking around weight and they test your hydration. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by some of the things they've done. I just don't know that we know enough about it yet. Uh, we don't know enough about how much those guys at one have tried to cut weight in the past versus how much guys in the UFC try to cut weight. By the way, one is taking fighters from a pl- part of the world that doesn't necessarily have the same kind of weight cutting um, value system, so that, so their solutions might be easier to implement, right? If you're changing someone's value system, um, that requires a pretty significant battery of changes versus if someone doesn't necessarily have a hard and fast rule about something in the same kind of you know deeply ingrained practice, um, they might be able to take less measurements and still have great effect. So I'm not here to say that the, that one doesn't have any good answers. They might have a bunch. Number one, I just don't know a whole lot about them. I've never witnessed them up up close. Um, they've never really been inspected in any kind of critical critical eye kind of way. And and three, I think I'm willing to believe that the fighters they have just come from a part of the world that you know they might be able to take a few less steps and still get just as far. That may not that may not be a one size fits all approach but probably some things to learn from what they're doing as well. Here we go. The solution is simple. Add 10% to each weight class. Any time, any time, any time you hear somebody say the solution is simple, they're, they're totally wrong. Any time. Now, they might be right about one part of that. They might say something like, hey, simple solution is simple, just do X. X might be right insofar as X is part of a larger amount of changes. But for anything like, you know, how do you get rid of PEDs in sports and how do you curb weight cutting? These really difficult problems to address. Uh, anyone who's like, solution is simple. <laughs> it's not simple. And that's not at all true. All right. Let's see. Tony versus Connor. What's your prediction for this fight? And I would like to know what you would think would win, is not just say, well, if it goes to the ground, Tony can win. Well, if it goes to the ground, Tony can win. Standing Connor can end up with a few knockdowns. Standing Connor can end up with a few knockdowns. No, I'm teasing. Uh, prediction on whether Connor versus Tony happens next. Like if you had to bet, would you bet on the Diaz fight happening or the Ferguson one? Well, I'll start with the last part first. Uh if I had to bet, I would bet on the Diaz fight happening, much to my chagrin. But I don't think it's a guaranteed lock. Probably. Probably the likely front runner, But I don't know that it's set in stone yet. Uh, also, um, a prediction for the fight. You know, it, look, once it happens, or once it is scheduled, we can go into this in greater detail, but I think my initial impression would be something like um, I think that Tony takes a while to... Figure out what punches work best at range. I think Connor is an excellent counterpuncher, especially for people who like to jab at range, which Tony does, which allows Connor to set a lot of angles. Or, um, you know, he likes against Diaz, he'd like to slip and then throw a punch over the top. I think that would work really well for him. Um, He's incredibly accurate. I think it would be a very hard fight for Tony in the first two rounds. Very hard fight if he can make it out of there. He would really have to, I think, change up a couple of things to make it out of there but I think honestly once it gets to the third round it's a completely different fight and at that point I would heavily favor Tony you know so first two rounds I would heavily favor Connor from there on out I would favor Tony times a thousand Um, because once once Connor begins to slow and not just his output is slow but you can see the pace of his punches is slow his reactions are slower he's a much more manageable fighter you know those first two rounds he's just so difficult to deal with he's so crisp he's so quick He's so accurate. He's so in the zone. He's, he's hard to deal with, man. Um, if Tony would just went up there and just wildly stood with him, it would be kind of bad. But if he can wrestle a little bit, slow him down, get him to go, you know, just change things up a little bit um, and, and take it to the third round, I think it would be a very, 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 very different fight from there on out. Tony is, and I, and this is the thing that sort of kills me about the whole thing. I saw on yesterday, you know, Coach Owen Roddy, who, I've, by the way, I've talked to some people who have, you know, trained over there, they they say nothing but really good things about him. I've never met him, I've never talked to him, but um, I, I I you know I don't think his comments at all were out of bounds at all, saying, you know, hey, look, it'll probably be a short night because Connor can do X. And I think that's a totally reasonable suspicion. A totally reasonable suspicion to think that. Um, because it could very well be true then the first two rounds, just the speed and the accuracy and the um, you know, just the ability to Launch offense off of someone else's offense so effortlessly would be kind of a bad matchup for Tony Early. But people are taking what Coach Roddy said and taking what Coach Kavanaugh said, which is that they, you know, if he had his way, he'd prefer it that the DS fight happen. And they're turning it into this Frankenstein view. And the Frankenstein view is not only should uh Connor fight Nate but really all the reasons why you would want to fight Nate uh fight Tony they're you're better off doing it against Nate anyway right this sort of weird thing where all of a sudden Tony is not competitive uh, or not nearly as competitive as Nate or the, the Nate DS fight is somehow the most competitive fight Connor can find like he's just this jewel out there you know sitting there when no one else can handle it a, a, except Connor, maybe on occasion. It's like, I don't understand this logic of thinking at all. I mean, I don't think Nate is a walk in the park for anyone, Least of which, at least of all Connor McGregor, who got beat by the guy once, uh, and nearly a second time. Uh, so no, Nate is hardly some easy fight, but let's sort of be real for a second. Everyone's like, what about Nate's chin? What about Nate's chin? Tony's is just as tested and has gone further. Tony's chin is... Excellent. Now he is open for shots in ways that sometimes Nate isn't quite as open. Um, but who has really hurt uh, Nate, Tony on the feet? Lando venada and not many other guys, and none of them could put him away. Uh, he's hard to even knock down, and he's never been finished with strikes, something Nate Diaz cannot say. Um, moreover, the 10 fight win streak that he is on is something literally no one else has done in that division ever. Ever. And he finished seven of those 10. I mean, I I just don't understand. Look, styles make fights. And because of some of the certain vulnerabilities that Tony presents early, it is possible that he could go in there and get wrecked Jose Aldo style. It's very, very possible. But it's to my my mind, almost as equally likely that Tony finds a way to hang on because that's what he's done. Every time he's been challenged, takes it to deep waters and turns that shit around on you fast fast uh he has proven it against other super vicious strikers too by the way uh i just don't i don't, i just don't get i don't get how you can sort of turn this these two into this through alchemy into the and i'm not suggesting either of them have done that off the other one i'm saying i think fans and other observers have done it from them uh where all of a sudden you know uh does it really make sense to fight tony i mean you know he has these vulnerabilities standing it's like (laughs) what you know uh if you don't want to fight tony because you just want to have big fights as coach Kavanaugh said that's fine you know who could probably who could argue with that but if that's the case you got to drop the title right because the title has a certain amount of significance here i know some people want to pretend that it doesn't and certainly even the ufc has done enough of their own handiwork to undercut that but you, you it has value um and so if you just want the big fights and the big hoopla I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, you got to fight the kind of career you want to fight, no one can make you do anything you don't want to do. But if the title is to be retained, then the title has to be defended. Tony is the guy, period. We're talking about a guy who has done something in that division literally no one else can do, and or has done, rather. Um, all, an all-time great lightweight, in my judgment, and he's only now just beginning to prove it. Um, but that that run he went on from October 2013, winning against Mike Rio, to October 2017, winning against Kevin Lee, finishing 70% of those guys is just miraculous. It's miraculous. Whatever you can say in Nate Diaz's defense, and he's got somewhat different skill set than Tony, it overall does not pose a greater challenge necessarily than what Tony poses. Um, Not on the chin argument, not on the overall ability argument, even on the jiu-jitsu. Nate is really good at jiu-jitsu and probably better at pure jiu-jitsu than Tony. But in MMA Jiu-Jitsu, Tony takes a lot of risks and can take a lot of damage and can keep moving and wears damage well, by the way. It's hard to actually make him really bleed and suffer and slow him down. Uh, I just don't get it. So if you want to be in favor of the Nate fight, you can be in favor. Just say what it is. I'd rather have a big to-do. Uh, if you're Conor, I'd rather make more money uh, or, or whatever, the, you know, whatever your particular pl- uh, assignment lies. If you're a fan, I just want a bigger fight. If you're a media observer, you can make the same argument. If you're Connor, you can make you know whatever. Whatever that you want to put on that side. But you cannot make a claim about meritocracy and say that's really the tougher fight. That's the more that's the more intriguing fight. It's not. We've seen it twice. We've seen there's that's by definition not more intriguing. Uh the Tony fight is significantly more intriguing, especially if he wins. It's just that there's a lot more risk associated with it. And and shout outs to uh Todd Martin, who wrote a great column for Sherdog, sure basically arguing that I don't think Connor is necessarily running from Tony Ferguson. He probably is seriously considering the monetary option. And again, I don't have any fault with that. Fighters are going to do what they're going to do. It's us as fans and media, to, if we have different preferences, to articulate those. But it's not, it's not wrong for him to want that. But what ends up happening is that it looks like if he picks Nate Diaz, whether it's true or it's not, and it may very well not be true, but at least gives off the appearance of ducking somebody. So he may not be like thinking, look again, he could go in there and smoke him like he did Jose Aldo. It's possible. MMA is crazy. But it gives off this appearance that you're not taking on the guys because there's something else you're trying to hold on to. And If you give it the belt, no problem. But if you don't want to give it that belt, then there is one answer to this question and there is one only. It is Tony Ferguson's time. End of story. There is no argument you can possibly make to the contrary. As long as that title is in play, and as long as he wishes to retain it, there is one answer to this question. One, 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 one. It is Tony Ferguson. And if he goes in there and gets smoked, so be it. He earned that opportunity to go get smoked. But if he doesn't and he shows up, shows up like he has done the last four years and ends up doing something to Connor that, uh, you know, someone like Nate did in their first fight, then that's the way the cookie crumbles to it. But even then, I don't think that ruins the Diaz fight. That's the crazy part about this. You can do the Tony fight, and if he wins or loses, you can do the Diaz fight after that. It doesn't hurt it at all. Well, at least, not very much. Crazy. The silence of Connor. It's been half a week since Ferguson took the lightweight interim title and put an exclamation mark behind his name as the next in line for Connor's belt. Ferguson called Connor out straight away then repeated in a post-fight presser, then on the MMA Hour and my show as well. Dana White immediately said that the Connor versus Ferguson is the fight to make. The fan consensus seems to be the same. It is not the same. But still no word on even a tweet from Connor. Who, what do you think he hasn't responded? It's part of his negotiating, seriously thinking about the other options. I'm sure he is thinking about the other options. Um, careful when you say what's well, what the fans want. It's what the hardcore fans want, or at least a noteworthy portion of the hardcore fans want. But selling a fight like Diaz versus McGregor, everyone's like, well, that's what the fans want. No. Which fans? You mean the casual fans that are a larger portion of the MMA viewing audience that are fickle, but when they show up in big numbers, they tend to help return these huge financial windfalls, but they ordinarily don't care about anything else? Yes. Among that group, for sure, Diaz versus McGregor is bigger by a long shot um, than it is you know, McGregor versus Ferguson, that, that much is true. So just be very careful when you're talking about hardcore fans and even among hardcore fans, I think it's split a little bit. I think most want to see Tony, um, but there's probably some that want to see Nate as well. So it's not like the sort of consensus thing, but always be very, very careful when people say, well, that's what the fans want. No, which fans, which fans want it. Um, because I think most of the people watching this podcast would far prefer to see Tony. But if I had to ask, you know, the person down the street, they might tell you Diaz. And that's just a reality you have to live with. Bisping. Do you think Michael Bisping is one of the most underrated UFC fighters of all time? Yes. The consensus of fans, excluding Brits, seem to bag on his achievements so far but are overlooking his longevity in the sport. Plus, he seems to have improved into his twilight and has deserved wins over Silver Rockhold and Dan Henderson in his most recent run. To me, as a Brit, this person says, this being is up there with the greats the sport has produced, not on a technical achievement level, but overall as he has been a successful stalwart of the sport, a geographical pioneer, and I think it is good for the sport with him holding the belt. I also feel his biggest credit is the way he has maintained a presence in the top 10 for at least the last 10 or 11 years. I feel he is somewhat similar to a Frankie Edgar. It's an interesting claim. Do you feel Bisping is underrated, and why do you think this is? Is it to do with his cocky attitude or his fighting style, so then I miss the decision wins? I appreciate this GSP match won't be uh, doing him any favors. It is, as it is perceived, he is dodging legitimate contenders, but I feel it is an intriguing matchup, and hope Bisping gets to put another legend on his list of achievements. This is a great, great question. Um, In some ways, I agree. In some ways, I don't. I think you can go back and say after the Silva fight, before anything else had happened, he got a win that was very, very close. And so folks were like, yeah, it's the Silva win, but it's Silva way past his prime. And, you know, what does it really mean anymore? And Silva's no walk in the park, even at this stage. But, you know, after that and the Derek Brunson fight and some of the other ones he's had, the Cormier fight, you can sort of tell that this is a fairly faded Silva. But point being is he got that on his resume. And it didn't really alter his resume, but it was a nice signature win to get. Or or his signature name anyway. And then just this confluence of events happened where he gets the late call against Luke Rockhold. He then beats him. So not only did you beat the former Strike Force champion, you beat the current UFC champion. Um, and you beat the old UFC middleweight champion in Silva, among Cage Rage and others, I suppose. I don't know if he was the Cage Rage champion anymore, but you know, he certainly had an amassed fair number of titles. And then you get lined up against GSP. It sort of all at once uh, puts him in a position to do something that could really change the way you have to review his career. Um, so we'll see how things go against GSP. I don't know what the answer to that is. Like, some days I think Bisping's going to roll over him. Some days I think GSP is going to roll over him. But, but the but to, to your point. I, you know, after the Silva fight, there wasn't this like reckoning about his resume. It's just some things really happened after that. And then of course he gets the revenge against Dan Henderson and that changes things as well. So it's like, it's just everything from the Silva fight on basically. Let me look at his resume here real quick, just to review this. Just to make sure I got the timeline right. Um, let's see. Michael Bisping. Yeah, so he beats C.B. Dalloway and he beats Talos Lightes barely. So at that point, you're like, he just kind of is who he is. Then from 2016 on, 2016 was like the greatest year of this guy's life as a fighter. He decisions Anderson Silva does it in London. Then he beats Luke Rockhold in June of that year. And then he beats Den Henderson back in Manchester. And that one, those th- that three fight sequence changed everything because you go back before that, here's what his record was. He beat Jason Miller, lost to Chael Sonnen. He beat, you know, it was controversial, but he did. Beats Brian Stan, loses to Vitor. Beats Alan Belcher, loses to Tim Kennedy. Beats Kung Lee, loses to Luke Rockhold. Then fought C.B. Dalloway and Talos Laitis. He kind of was who you thought he was for all that time, all the way through 2015. And then in a three-fight span and now a four-fight span with his GSB fight, you're forced to review everything. Here, to me, is really the key to Michael Bisping. Number one, yes, you can point to a lot of things. Technically, he does really well. He puts strikes together well. He has incredible cardio. Um... You know he's really well rounded. He can do a lot of different things if he needs to. Although he typically favors certain things, but defensively he's very sound, for the most part. Um, and he really didn't duck anybody. And now you can say here some of these fight choices have been weird, but Whitaker's out anyway, and it's a mess about how this whole thing happened. And yes, I would have liked to have seen him fight Romero, and it's a mess. But if you look at the through the major parts of his career, the long stretches of it. He fought, I mean, my man was in the trenches, y'all. I mean, he, he you know, you want to make a claim about 2017, fine. But from every year but prior to that, he didn't duck a challenge. He just didn't, okay. Um, and so to me, what really stands out, I've mentioned this before, it's worth repeating again. Michael Bisping is the is maybe the most perseverant fighter I think I've ever seen. And by that I mean it in two ways. One In fights themselves. He gets hurt, he rallies. Um, He gets tired, he pushes through. Um, You slow down, he steps on the gas. He just kind of has a real way of overwhelming and, in particular, outlasting guys in contests. And that extends to his career more generally. As Anderson Silva got old, Michael Bisping maintained a level of competitive excellence. As Luke Rockhold got a little bit overconfident, Michael Bisping just didn't worry about anything. Um, As Dan Henderson got long in the tooth, Michael Bisping found a way to get better and hang on. And so late in his career, when everyone else is either fading or maybe overestimating themselves in the case of Rockhold or however you want to describe that loss, he just found a way as, it's like the Tony Ferguson thing, you know, he might have a little trouble early in fights with some of these guys, but as it goes on, he just he just tears them to pieces. It's a little something like that, both in fights themselves and the career more generally. And it all stems from one trait that he has that I think he has in, in a way that almost no one else does. He is completely, completely delusional. And I say that as a compliment, uh, the highest compliment, in fact. Um, he is so convinced that that punch didn't hurt. He is so convinced that that round didn't tire him. He is so convinced that that blood is not really affecting him. He is so convinced that that loss is not a reversible one. He is so convinced, just give me one more chance, and I bet you I can prove it. it, it it's it, You know you see a lot of guys get knocked out. You see a lot of guys take bad losses, and it wrecks them completely. Ronda Rousey got wrecked one time and was never the same after that. Think about how bad that loss that Michael Bisping had was, to Dan Henderson, the first time. That would have wrecked a lot of guys, and he just bounced right back. And yes, he had some up-and-down moments there through the middle parts of 2012 to 2014, but he just kept pushing and kept pushing and kept pushing and maybe got a little luck here or there towards the end of his career, but just kept pushing and kept pushing and kept believing. And ke- he is He is the complete testament to me in the power of self-belief, and I think a lot of those self-help hallmark card um charlatans out there who want to pronu- you know tell you be positive it changes the world around you nah not really but sometimes when you get a guy who's really convinced about it and really takes it to heart and really and and just absolutely believes it even when he has no good reason to do so he achieves he just outlasts everybody he stays composed he stays in the pocket he stays firing, and over time, he just wins. That's really kind of the story of Michael Bisping's career. And to get all this achievement late, you know, from 2016 to 2017, 2015 prior, Michael Bisping is who you thought he was. 2016 and on, he's a completely different guy because of a set of fortuitous circumstances and the same perseverance that he saw in, in those those lean years. It just It just clicked later on for all the reasons that maybe had some trouble early it's it's an amazing thing the one thing I think that is missing from his career is from what I can tell he is certainly uh popular among MMA fans over in the UK but my understanding is that he's probably more popular here than he is in the UK and one of the things that's interesting about Conor McGregor's career is that you know should he have gone to another camp there's no good no good evidence to suggest that but you know people jump camps all the time and and it's usually TJ Dillashaw notwithstanding not a big deal Connor has sort of turned it into one. And I don't mean in that direct hostile sense where he was hostile about some of the things he said about Joe Duffy. You know, we got rock chins or the Irish air. It's like, I mean, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. But um, I think that Michael Bisping has been incredibly important for UK MMA. But I still think UK MMA is missing somebody who starts there, trains there, and becomes a champion there. That is missing a little bit. And the UK is a really, really diverse place, too. You know, it's not like, you know, if you're, a, if you're Welsh, you know, if you're Gareth Bale, are you going to be the talk of the town in London? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know enough about that. But it seems like it's diverse enough that you don't want to say that one guy who comes out of there is representative of all these people. Maybe. Um, but you get the idea that, like, you know, Anthony Joshua lives there, trains there, fights there. Right? That's a big deal. Um, Michael Bisping had a lot of success at Wolf Slayer, but basically came over here, is on TV here, has his podcast here for a time, was on radio here, um, and has had a lot of his big fights here as well. Some, of course, across the pond, but most of them on this side of the the world. And so I think for somebody to really capture that market, to really energize it, you're going to need someone like Anthony Joshua, is from the UK, lives in the UK, and does most of their fighting in the UK. Trains in the UK, you know, that kind of thing. Someone says, if anything, he's overrated. Okay, I'll read you this. I don't agree, but let's see. 24 UFC fights prior to the title shot and only one win over a top five ranked opponent, which was an old declining Anderson Silva ranked number five and yet still got KO, took him 20 seconds to get up and get a close decision. It's not quite true, but okay. He got a title shot that wouldn't just be possible The record on any real proper sport. He's a quarterfinal material yes he took the gift well and defeated rock fair and square the old cliche it's a fight anything can happen worked in this case but to earn a shot one fight wonder isn't enough you have to beat a few top contenders and he never did that look at whitaker he did on a few months with this being has never been able to do beat one and two in a row that's a fair point point. and on top of it all he defended question mark that belt against a 46 year old retired man ranked number 14 got knocked down two times had his face smashed and won a razor thin decision now This former 205er will defend against uh, the title against this much smaller 170 that never got to 185, and you say Bisping is underrated. There's some fair points in there. It's a little bit hostile. Um, The thing that has really helped Bisping is the guys he's defeated and got revenge against. In the case of Rockhold, that was legitimate. You won the title. And then more than that, in the case of, let's say, um, Anderson had a big name, but it wasn't a revenge fight. But in the Anderson fight, it was a revenge fight, and he had a big name. And those other guys all had a bunch of titles. Like Romero's never had an MMA title, um, or Brunson's never had an MMA title. They might be really tough guys, but you get the idea. So partly, I I think the better argument to make is that Bisping has somewhat benefited from the fact that the guys he's faced have had these really incredible tenures um, prior to them versus what their contemporary ranking was. But there's some decent arguments in there. McGregor's choice. There's been a lot of discussion who McGregor fights next with the focus being on how it is really up to him. So I so I thought to ask, how would it affect your opinion of Conor as a fighter and as a champion if he chose to fight Nick, Nate next instead of Ferguson? This is something what it, it, my opinion of him is sort of like not the good question to ask here, or at least to, you need to specify what you mean, because would I think less of him as a person if he chose to fight Nate? No. Would I think he's not a good fighter if he chose to fight Nate? No. But... You need to reconcile this fact. If he does not fight Tony, either A, ever, or even B, next, but especially ever, right, and just gives it the title, you just have to reconcile the fact that if you're ranking some of the best fighters ever, that dramatically hurts his legacy. Now, his legacy will be built on many, many things, not least of which is becoming the first person to ever win two belts at one time in the UFC, and that's a huge feather in his cap. And those great wins over Dustin Poirier and Max Holloway, he beat some great, great names no doubt about it, but when you're measuring the totality of accomplishment, if you don't defend against the clear guy, and the clear guy who, by the way, in that weight class has done something that nobody else has done, and you just don't fight him, there's just no way around it. It does affect your legacy. Now, maybe he doesn't care competitively about that. Maybe that's not something that he thinks uh, he needs to worry about. Maybe he thinks it does affect him, and, and that's fine. Like He doesn't really care that he gets ranked less than somebody as a consequence of that, it, it, it's not—it's not a—it's not, not a character judgment about who he is as a person, but you have to just say if you don't defend the title and you choose not to defend the title, not merely when there's a bevy of contenders, but when there's one also wearing a belt in your weight class, and the guy who's doing that is done is is literally trend setting, you know. It, it's it's like it's a glaring challenge that has to be answered. If you don't answer it. It affects your legacy period how much we can debate how little we can debate in what way we can debate but you have to count it you have to count it you can't you just cannot ignore this um so let's see what he does i don't really want to make a lot of value judgments about it um and who knows what else he may go on to do maybe he goes to 170 and wins a the title there that also would change the debate a little bit but on the negative side Um, Not answering the call that Tony Ferguson has put out would not be good for his legacy. And you just can't ignore that. One says, I actually think in some ways the Nate fight is the riskier choice. I don't. Not to say it doesn't carry risk. I just don't think it's riskier. The first fight ended in a decisive victory for Nate, the second in a very close majority decision for Connor. What happens if they make the trilogy and Nate gets the W by finish? They just make a fourth fight. How many times did Pacquiao and Marquez fight? Five times? Nate has 11 losses on his record, and yet he would have proven definitively that he's better than Conor, damning for the McGregor brand. No, they just fought a fourth time and maybe a fifth. It's not a big deal. Trust me. Mark Hunt. Good morning, Luke. Thoughts on this emerging situation with Mark Hunt. Maybe the UFC was justified in pulling him from the card, but I wouldn't be surprised if Mark files another lawsuit based on this. Okay, can the UFC claim to take the high road with fighter safety issues so long as one they are still in the BJ Penn business and two let fighters with staff cut tons of weight and compete? Boy, these are great. Got really good questions today. I'm very impressed, and some good and some good rebuttals as well. Um, let me see here. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. All right, Um, it's a complicated answer, and look, if you're looking for the UFC to have a morally, um, you know, very clear record, and are you looking for them to have really even consistent policy, um, they'll fail that test pretty regularly, it's just not possible. So to your point, you know, why are you still in the BJ Penn business is really a question you have to ask yourself or they have to ask themselves Um, and the staff issue. And that's not just a failure of the UFC, it's a failure of the athletic commission as well, frankly, the entire apparatus. Um, So sure, these are absolute knocks. And I'm not saying that Mark Hunt is wrong because I don't know enough about the facts to really declare that, but let me just say this. And it's it's a fundamental belief of mine Generally, and it can be applied here namely, civilization is a learned behavior. Um, I know that there are some folks who believe that we are born with some sort of innate values or innate understanding of decency or community. Uh, others are more prone to the uh, tabula rasa view that is sort of born with a clean slate about everything it can be taught. Um, one direction or the other. I'm more ascribed to the second one. Uh, at, at, least I, at least I think there's less, uh, I, I'm more subscribed to the tabula rasa view, not, not in its totality, not as it was originally stated, but generally speaking, I believe that um, it is very easy to transmit bad ideas. It is harder, as I mentioned before, to get rid of them. And it's a process that takes time once you've learned them. Here's my point on this number one, I don't know how, I'm not saying it's not possible, anything's possible. How do you get misquoted by the Players' Tribune? The Players' Tribune is a PR shop designed for athletes to say whatever it is that they want in a way that they want to say it, and then whitewashed for palatability for the audiences. Like They're designed to make you look good. Now, did someone there take artistic license, and then someone in you know, Hunt's camp, look at the copy and approve it. And then Hunt looked at it and I was like, what the hell? I've definitely been interviewed before for stories at a much lower level. And then I look at the quotes that came up and the way it was presented and it was not what I said. It is possible, but the players should be in a PR shop. So it's different than talking to a journalist. So I don't really understand that, but I guess it's possible. But my major point about this is, um, you're looking at the UFC saying, how can they take the high road? They can't take the high road in any kind of consistent moral position. But if I'm the UFC and I'm reading that and I'm saying to myself, what happens if something goes really bad? Because Mark Khan's not a lay and pray kind of guy. He goes out there and slings them. Um, what is going to happen? What further damage could there be to A, his existing lawsuit that they were negligent and not reading that and m- taking action? And B, wouldn't you want a UFC where if someone said they're slurring their speech and not remembering why they walked into rooms or other assortment of things. Wouldn't you want a more proactive UFC? I know that I would. Um, now you can say, why didn't the UFC do anything when Saint Pierre said he was missing time on Joe Rogan's podcast? I'm not exactly sure of the timeline of that, if it was before the Hendrix fight or not. Um, you know, look, they're inconsistent, they're inconsistent, and in that inconsistency, I think leaves a space for people to say. Well, there's something nefarious here. They're, they're singling him out. But after that lawsuit, they didn't single him out, man. They let him go. I can just tell you, they let him go on those media days at two. Was it, 2.09. And he just said whatever it is he wanted to to everybody in front of UFC staff. He didn't hold back at all. Um, they also brought in members of the Rugby Sevens All Blacks team. They gave him a jersey. He got to hold it up there. He was part of like the PR festivities. They put a show down in Auckland that he got to headline i mean if it if they were i mean they booked him for a fight in sydney if they were trying to do him dirty there's not a whole lot of evidence to suggest that um since that lawsuit so i i don't know i i'm I'm a little skeptical I, i i can understand hunt's frustration maybe he was counting on that money maybe he feels like the additional he says he's done additional testing and he's fine it's a complicated scenario but um i don't think it's quite from the outside looking in, from my vantage point, for whatever that's worth, it doesn't appear to me, you know, if you want to blast the UFC for inconsistency, you have all the right in the world. They, they will, they've made so many changes to policy, to not having policy, to just whim, you know, uh, not nepotism, certainly there's a amount of cronyism that has historically been in place there. Um, they'll never be able to have the high watermark morally that you're looking for but just in examining this situation for what it is those things those words were published their actions prior to those words being published were seem to be totally above board um and this one seems like an abundance of caution i guess we'll see how it all plays out and what they're going to do but uh you know i don't i don't know that i necessarily fault the ufc here uh, from the outside looking in it feels like that was actually the prudent thing to do what if something happens and they're like this guy wrote in the players tribune he couldn't remember anything and then he gets some vicious ko and some medical uh, you know issue takes place it's a pr disaster for them it's a pr and this guy was complaining about peds the whole time what if the guy he's fighting pops later on it's a nightmare it's a complete nightmare for them so you know is it done on some kind of abundance of caution about his health maybe is it partly just to save their own ass from a pr standpoint Much more likely, but prudent for a corporation in their position? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, Rockhold announcement. Luke, come on, mate. Can you spill this Rockhold news, which you teased last week? He has a big announcement coming outside of the sport. No, someone's going to have a big announcement about him. Uh, I assume it is a film or modeling thing, but can't help feeling it's something more left field and extravagant. Given your tone last week, is he going to be your gym buddy? No, the two Lukes won't be in there pumping iron badly. But uh, I'm trying to find. I want to talk to him about it first, and I haven't had a chance yet. So once uh, I want to talk to him about it, but it's it's huge, huge, monumentally huge, like no bullshit, really, really, really big. So. Um, Thoughts on the amount of Bellator catchweight bouts. Hi, Luke. What is your thoughts on the amount of Bellator catchweight bouts? Uh, In 2017 alone, there have been 39 to date. I think we talked about this before. Almost every event aside from the one two weeks ago has had at least two, with Bellator 175 having a high of seven. Does this say something about the need for more weight classes or does it have something to do with the Bellator roster? Uh, I, I, you need to specify how many you have on the prelim and then the main card. Main cards where the major fighters go. Prelim cards, some major fighters, but mostly just regional donks. And on the regional scene, you cannot imagine how many people pull out late, uh, how many people miss weight, how many people miss weight by a, by a mile. It happens all the time. Catch weights are essential. Catch weights are the glue that keep regional MMA held together that's just a reality. And I really, I cannot say this enough. I cannot encourage you more. You might say, Luke, there's no MMA on TV this weekend. Don't care. I guarantee you for the vast majority of you, there's a local MMA event in your town or nearby. Go to it. Go to the weigh-in on Friday. Go to the fights on Saturday. Tickets will be like 40 bucks. You'll get to sit close enough so you can hear and see everything. You might see somebody who will end up in the UFC someday. You'll see people from your local community go. Go to it. And you'll see that you'll be like, why are these guys fighting at 179 and a half just because they needed to? Because they were supposed to make 170 and they couldn't. You'd be like, they miss weight by eight pounds, nine pounds. Yes, they did. That's just that's just regional MMA. This one's not wrecked, but it's interesting. Who has the most motivating story in MMA? My firm needs a keynote speaker for a big event. Who would you recommend? I'm currently trying to get Brian Stan, but would love to know your opinion. Brian Stan is good. Someone recommended Tyron Woodley. Tyron Woodley is an excellent choice as well. I can't remember where I saw the video. I think it was from a Champ Camp episode. I could be wrong about that. But there you see uh, Woodley meeting up with Ben Askren. Ben Askren runs these wrestling academies and camps. And it was Woodley, I think, working out with Big Ben and then speaking to his kids. And these were all like, I think, you know, teenagers and younger, not and like 13, 14 and younger. Um, and man, he's a great public speaker. Great. Really good story. Really good motivati- motivator, you know, uh, can capture a room, knows how to speak in a way that keeps your attention. Court McGee. I think also would be pretty good. He's not, he's got a really, you know, from drug addiction to UFC success, I think is, 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 no small feat. Um, and Brian Stan, of course, would be an excellent choice to the extent you can get him, but those three sort of stand out as like really great choices. And on the women's side, uh, I'm not sure who would be quite as good as people have got great stories. Are they really gifted communicators? Misha Tate has an interesting story. Uh, Julie Kedzie has an interesting story. She's certainly trying to get her, uh, her masters in creative writing. You know, that's interesting. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, few questions. What do you think of the Duffy-Vick matchup at MSG, and who do you favor? I favor Duffy, but Vic is a very, very tough challenge. I think Duffy is better technically, but Vic's size could be an issue. Could be, but Duffy's a big lightweight too. Who would you pick in, in Connor versus Tony? Anyone who gets hit as much as Tony will have problems against Connor, but he has a solid chin, and his cardio and ground game would be a big factor if Connor doesn't get him out of there in two rounds. I think Tony's striking, too, would surprise some people later on, not early. Coin flip. Coin flip. Uh, on last week's chat, there was a guy... Excuse me. On last week's chat where that guy was listing potential fights of the year and the rest of 2017, how the hell did he leave out Gaethje Alvarez? That would be pure violence. Great call. That's going to be an awesome fight. True-false. Mark Hunt fights again in the UFC. True. One of GSP or Bisping retires after UFC 217. Ooh, true. A fight between Conor McGregor and Tony Ferguson goes to a decision. False. Uh, Demetrius gets 20 or more title defenses. False. Darren tell beats Donald Cerrone. False. UFC introduces a 165-pound division by 2018 year end. False. UFC re-ups... No, I'll say true. I'll say true. UFC re-ups their TV deal with Fox at least partially. I think that's true. Man, Fox, can you believe they put in for the for the 2018 and 2022 World Cups, and I think the two women's World Cups that are interspersed in between, they paid 425 mil. Now, the U.S. women uh, will do their job. I don't know if they'll win, but they'll certainly do well in the tournament, right? So that's something to look forward to. But can you imagine them last night? It's like, let me get this straight. You only needed to tie or win against Trinidad and Tobago, <laughs> uh, the worst team in the hex for CONCACAF. By the way, in CONCACAF, the easiest qualifying of any federation in soccer, uh, and you had to do it against their B team, not even their A team, and you lost two to one. <laughs> I mean, it is like it is. It is you know, Christian Pulisic is is good. You know, DeAndre Yedlin is all right. You know, uh, and Pulisic is going to be really good. You know, you're hanging your hat on on a teenager and a guy who spent the majority of his time in the Premier League riding the pine. God, so sad. All right, true, false. Oh yeah, we did already. Right Sorry. Whoops vice principals do you still watch yes i love vice principals who do you think shot neil gamby man i don't know part of me thinks it might be seychelles um because seychelles and lee russell were a bit of an item and then gamby sort of came back along and seychelles hates gamby but i don't know is is seychelles really capable of that kind of violence What do I think about financial punishment if the fighters come in too heavy right before they step into the cage? So an extra weigh-in at the referee checkup cage side. Terrible, terrible, terrible idea. Weigh them. Do not penalize them. Give them every incentive to rehydrate. Do not give them an incentive to not rehydrate. Terrible idea. uh okay Luke. currently we can say that mcgregor has never successfully defended a ufc title and that john cavanaugh has never had a fighter successfully defend a ufc title okay despite all the firsts they may have achieved if they never successfully defend a ufc title how will history look at both men and will some of their achievements lose some shine yes they will e.g connor didn't fight his way through the title to the lightweight division to get a title shot um it's worth considering this question in the context of Mighty Mouse and Matt Hume, who have achieved first and also successfully defend their position at the top of the mountain. We have to see what they do next. Because they may really reshape how we rethink about how we think about things, especially if he goes to 170 and has success there. Um, so let's see. But again, as I mentioned earlier in the broadcast, if he does not defend a title, and not really defend a title, but defend a title in a case where another guy is holding the belt, and the guy holding that belt. Earn that belt by doing something in that weight class that no one in the history of that division, the toughest division in mixed martial arts, to not fight that guy. Not good for your legacy. Not the, not the defining, you know, it's not the defining feature because there's so many really amazing things about his legacy. Um, but that doesn't help. And it, in fact, it would hurt in, in a very recognizable way. But let's see what else he does. And let's see if he fights him. Moot point if he does. Okay, TV deal on Fight Pass. Hi, Luke. I appreciate your perspective and insight about the TV deal and how it will affect the UFC product. One thing you didn't mention much last week here on MMA Beat was using Fight Pass as an avenue for content. There's a reason I didn't. Someone says, uh, I'm a cord cutter and often go out on Saturday night, so I'm almost ne- I almost never catch shows on FS1 and just wait for it to become available on Fight Pass. If you have um, Roku... Sorry, if you have a sling, you can pay for DVR. And if you have YouTube TV, you have unlimited DVR. And then you get FS1, FX, FS2, and FXX. So you almost impossible to miss a prelim that's aired beyond the Fight Pass portion. Um, The only thing that sucks is waiting a month for the card to not be blocked out for three months of pay-per-views. I may be alone in this, but I'd pay double the price for Fight Pass to include all non- pay-per-view cards live and allow immediate replay so I can watch them late when I get home the next day while it still feels fresh and exciting rather than waiting a month when it feels like old news. I also think the UFC could offer some sort of bundle deal where you purchase a pack of pay-per-views for a small discount with your Fight Pass subscription, say a three-month subscription plus one pay-per-view during those three months or a one-year subscription with six pay-per-views during that year, which would help relieve some pressure for selling pay-per-views if they know a certain amount are already sold and possibly increase the total sales of both pay-per-views and fight pass subscriptions. Is there a reason you didn't mention Fight Pass, yes, in your thoughts about the TV deal, avenues of content and how it all affects the cards that we end up seeing. Um some of the bundle ideas I've heard these these and other versions before. Um the problem with Fight Pass is that they would have to go the like what? I don't know much about wrestling, but I know the WWE Network had some early problems um, with subscriber count when they just made the huge leap to the WWE Network. But they've got a point now where they've got at least a million plus, and that's a lot of monthly revenue. Um, but they really went all in. Now you can still, as I understand it, buy pay per view through Direct TV or Comcast or something if you don't have the network. It's still available, but they don't advertise. They advertise solely through the the network the UFC would have to go all in and as it stands I I I don't think that they from from a calculation standpoint my understanding is that whatever short-term gains they would have in growing the platform wouldn't be offset by the tremendous amount they would lose in television um licensing fees like whatever the whatever the WWE gets from their television product um it's enough to complement their subscriber base on the network and the current switch that have to make for the UFC to match that it would, it would take a substantial, a substantial buy-in from the fan base that I don't think they think is there in short, there would, it, it just wouldn't financially return in any kind of way that would be feasible. And I think they would say, well, now we've alienated our television partners for probably some substantial amount of time. Um, what are we going to do? Right. It's not, it's not an easy thing. I mean, what sport do you know, because WWE is not a sport, what sport do you know that has really gone from television to all-in digital? Now, some are rising digitally, but who's gone backwards? Not backwards exactly, it's forwards, but you know what I mean. Um, you know, n- no one really has done that. Um, all the major sports predominantly make revenue either in f- terms of uh, the bulk of it, either through television or some combination of television and something else, um, and WWE does, that, as I understand it. But they have enough; they, they were able through the way in which they structure their content to really make that push into the network in a way where the UFC couldn't. Because if you put half of your biggest stars on Fight Pass, would you really at this at this point would you really get a lot of people signing in? Uh, I don't know that you would. I think it also depends on the preferences of the consumer. Like um, if you're a WWE fan or a pro wrestling fan of some kind, um, there's a certain consistency to their calendar, and there's a certain amount of general appetite you might have. MMA fandom is weird where, you know, everyone sort of gets in on WrestleMania, I suppose, but MMA fandom is weird where you have these concentric circles and the very outer edge is the casual and the very inner spot is is uh you know, your hardcore fans. If you put co- all Conor McGregor's fights on Fight Pass, how much would you reasonably raise the, the amount of people subscribing? Probably a lot, but probably not enough to offset whatever you would be gaining if you still had them on pay-per-view. And I don't know that is in the exact same position. Not yet. Almost time. Almost time for uh, Twitter. Here, let me get to this one from Jason Amati he's a good dude i want to get to this question all right media coverage lending to diminished star power it's always the media's fault huh but maybe let's see watching everyone make the case for diaz mcgregor 3 in the immediate aftermath of ferguson lee really drives home one of the biggest issues in mma ferguson versus lee is the ufc product it's pretty close to the best absolute the company can offer that's what the ufc can offer month in and month out and not money fights which are the most talked about thing in the sport since the birth of the celebrity fighter a few years ago, it feels like all discussion now surrounds money fights. The UFC is partially to blame for that. The fighters are partially to blame and the MMA media as well. I can buy that. It feels like in an effort to predict what the UFC is going to do, people are now actually campaigning for UFC to do spectacle fights and in doing so, abandon the system that birthed their biggest stars to begin with. All of this started when Diaz filled in for RDA at UFC 196 and now the idea is that there's no interest in championships or the type of UFC products can actually produce on a consistent basis. Am I alone in feeling like interest in the product will continue to decline if it's made so abundantly clear that only celebrity and promos matter? Well, what a great question. Um, so on the media side, certainly there is, I think, some culpability on this one. Although, if people believe that it's better for the sport, what are they supposed to do? They're not supposed to argue for it. It's not necessarily they feel like they're undoing the sport. In fact, they feel like, hey, when I advocate for things, I'm advocating for things that do, you know, the biggest attention of them all. It just feels like there's a question of, like, if these big fights like the Diaz fights with McGregor are so big, and they are, why hasn't it translated to the rest of the product? Like, it feels very, everyone's like, look, look, there's so much attention on these Diaz fights, and there is. And then when the Diaz fights go away, so does everybody else, right? Um, So if they were really all that valuable, why isn't it more lasting? I don't have a lot of good answers for you because I don't... I'll just say this one thing that really has sort of stuck out to me. Number one, the architecture of the sport is belt holder, title contenders, and then moving through that division to the top. And then it's this sort of cycle that goes like this. There's a little cycle in between, and it's a general cycle just sort of churning the fighters up and down. That's really how it goes. That's how it's supposed to go. and That's the architecture. That's how it's built. I don't believe in getting rid of that. I think it provides some order. I think it provides um, direction. I think it provides value. And I think having a ranking system, even if it's flawed, makes it easier to sort and arrange contests. So I'm all in in favor of that. But I think really the interesting thing is everyone is like, man, there's no stars in the UFC. And And what's interesting is think about this. Imagine if Demetrius Johnson and and Jacek, because she's not a, I mean, both are hugely celebrated figures and they should be adored. But everyone acts like and Jacek is like some pay-per-view star. She's not, not even close. Um, There's no evidence to suggest that on her own, she can pull anything more than 250, if that. Um, Now that's bigger than, you know, some Demetrius Johnson maybe, but even then that's not a given, right? So it's just not some pay-per-view star but she's this incredible talent this this, you know, maybe once in a generation kind of talent, depending on what she does. She's really, really amazing. Imagine if Demetrius Johnson by himself and Joanna Jacek by herself, when they fought were good for five to 600,000 pay-per-view buys, no matter what, would we really be calling this much of a down here? Now, probably some because Ronda's gone, Connor fought and whatever he was doing, but, uh, it wouldn't be nearly as bad, but what we've done is we've got a, we've got something in place now, where we've disassociated the title, and accomplishment from uh, stardom. We have we have broken that connectivity, and that connectivity wasn't necessarily always there. And it wasn't necessarily always there at the very top there'd be guys who weren't necessarily champions who had a big following who were somewhere near the top um so it's not like this is some you know completely new phenomenon but even with someone like lesnar who was a celebrity fighter he had to kind of earn his way up and yes he came at a time that was very fortuitous but he beat heath herring and he beat frank Meir and you know he beat randy couture and you know there was a certain level like he was beating really good guys in those divisions uh, at least the ones that we had to offer him as the top level of talent for the most part, uh, beat Shane Carwin, you know? Um, and so there was a level of proving that still went on and he held that belt and it mattered. And, you know, some of the bigger fights at light heavyweight Chuck and, and, um, and Randy, these were all for belts. Now there were some different ones out there where guys came on TV, you know, that had a big impact and Kenny Florian had a career like that. That's good um forrest griffin did end up winning the belt but i think a predominant amount came from that the rise of that reality show and um Stephen bonner to an extent as well so like there's always going to be guys and there's always going to be fights that are made outside of that apparatus that i'm talking about and that have an appeal beyond that and to the extent you can nurture that you should i think what i'm worried about is is if tony beats connor and tony is promoted the right way and tony is um and Tony is, and that fight is promoted the right way. Like they do, the, they do it right, which they did not do for Amanda Nunes against Ronda Rousey, which really hurt her in the end. Some of that star power will transfer over to Tony. Now, can Tony be as big of a star as Connor? I have my doubts. Connor is a special, very, 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 very special guy. But the reason why you want that architecture in place for one reason is that when you have someone at the top who has achieved something and they have star power, if someone else does well against them, because they're consistently facing the best, on the one hand, it can cap their l- ability to become a huge c- celebrity. On the other hand, there's a greater ability to transfer it, or to share it, or to spotlight it. And uh, and I feel like that's being lost a little bit here, when you just kind of recycle the same guys in in nonsense affairs that have nothing to do with the meritoc- either the meritocracy of this matters, either the either the architecture matters, or it doesn't. And again, this is why if Connor drops the belt, it's not the end of the world because it wouldn't necessarily, it would not be great, but it would not be such an abdication of responsibility because you're literally, I'm giving up said responsibility. Like he doesn't have to do it if he doesn't want to, provided he just gives that up. Um, but I think that's the real issue to me is uh, I don't know how you fix it in every way. I don't know how you fix the Jay Check or Johnson problem. Uh, Maybe it is a weight class issue. Maybe it is a certain appearance issue. Maybe uh, these are not easily solvable problems, but my sense is that the more we disjoin accomplishment and uh, star power, and in some ways they naturally don't align themselves or not always, but the more we get rid of that transference policy, uh, the more we begin to get in trouble. What is Tony... Who is Tony going to fight? What else can he do? He's done everything he can inside the cage. He needs a little help from those who have star power to give down if they... Or, you know, look, uh, even if he loses, he could potentially gain some fans and fans and some followers, but you get the idea. Like, you heard about Roberto... Or Robert Guerrero because of... Probably to a large extent of Mayweather. You know, you heard about Claudia because he fought Pacquiao. Now, in the end, those guys didn't have necessarily a whole lot to last, but... Um, in the case of Marquez, beating him did a lot for him. And in the case of McGregor, having a fight of this magnitude with Floyd, everyone's like Connor's the A-side. In a way, he was. In a way, he was. But there was this institution of Mayweather that he went against that then enabled him to raise him up. These other guys who have done everything they can to beat everyone else, they need someone at the top who's already gotten there to give them some of that. And if they don't have that transference, you're going to have fewer stars to go around. Just spitballing some ideas. Um, all right. Let's go to the Twitter machine, at Uh, You can use the hashtag chat wrappers. Okay, do you think UFC has caught on to Ferguson trying to appeal more to Latino audience? Talking Spanish at UFC 216 post-fight conference saying another Mex will kick Conor's ass. It's to nationalize to build fight. Yeah, I know he's been working on the Spanish and uh, it's coming along. And uh, sure, what could be the harm in that? Good. Does Andrea KGB Lee have the most offensive nickname in MMA? No, she doesn't. KGB, I asked her about this. KGB, KG, KGB came from the fact that she uh, showed up to a fight and a promoter thought she was Russian and um they her friends joked with her and called her kgb she's not russian at all she's just some southerner from the midwest and uh they're like all right screw it it sticks that was that's that's all it has that has has nothing to do with anything else there are nearly 600 fighters on the ufc roster will there be a wave of cuts or less events would say 15 fights i hope if this thing loses to gsp Will his title reign go down as one of the worst of the modern era? No. No, I don't think so. It won't go down as like a remarkably awesome one, but I don't think it'll be trashed or something. Will GSP be allowed to walk in in a gi for the Bisping fight? I seriously, seriously doubt it. But you, you would hope. But if past his prologue, any amount of fun is completely uh, anathema to UFC brass, apparently. Look, are you aware of the UFC or any other MMA organization does anything in support of World Mental Health Day? Seems like a noble cause. There are many noble causes. Uh, is this Is it possible for John Jones to go to Bellator? Only if the UFC cuts him. If a UFC fighter wants to cut safely, how would you advise him? Talk to a doctor. How much weight cutting differs for a UFC fighter compared to an average Joe? The average Joe doesn't cut weight. Generally, men pull bigger crowds to watch UFC than women. Do women get paid less in UFC? If yes, do you think they should be paid equally? I've not measured a structures for women in the UFC. And uh, therefore, I'm incapable of answering that question. Did the fighters back in the day cut insane amounts of weight like they do today? Chuck, Miletic, Cabbage, Hughes. Cabbage, I don't think, cut a lot of weight, but the other ones I I think did, in fact, cut a tremendous amount of weight, yes. I mean, I went to some weigh-ins back in the day where dudes were looking super, 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 super rough. Fedor versus Jones in their prime. Who wins? Jones, easily. How lucky are we to experience Ferguson, Johnson, and Holloway's double-digit win streaks? I know. I know. It's like at a time when people are, you know, and again, I understand it. You don't want to be around. You got other things you could do. Get $100 million to fight Mayweather. That's great. And not just him. A lot of other guys are disgruntled and kind of sitting on the sidelines and rethinking their lives. And that's fine. But I think we should take a moment to appreciate all the ones that are not doing that, that are getting out there and just consistently laying it on the line day after day, day after day, day after day. Uh, and month after month, year after year, and then just putting together these incredible runs that historically we've never really seen in any of those divisions um, outside of what those guys themselves have done. Pretty spectacular stuff. Biggest missed super fight, Jones versus Brock or Silva GSP? Silva GSP felt like something bigger back in the day than Jones Brock. Jones Brock felt like, even Jones admitted in that post-fight press conference, yeah, I learned a lot from watching Conor McGregor. It just felt very derivative and." uh phony whereas you had two all-time greats at the same time in gsp and silva existing only one weight class apart and that felt like something you could really do and there was a ton of push at the time to make it happen and under what conditions and when they'd be ready and it just never materialized in part because george i don't think i really wanted it um but that felt like a lot bigger to me With Tony's defensive liabilities, is Connor's precision bad for a guy who doesn't necessarily shoot for takedowns early. Early, it's very bad for him. But over the course of a long fight outside of those first two rounds changes pretty substantially, in my judgment. Seeing as media jobs hinge on the health of the sport, how do you parse the lines between covering for clicks? Uh and I just cover what we see. If we don't, you guys will figure it out pretty fast. I mean, if the sports health it goes up, goes tits up, then it just, I, mean, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I can't fix that. So I'm not really going to lie to stop it. Um, but I, I don't think the sports health is necessarily in question. It so a while ago you mentioned a group thinking being a part of MMA media. How severe do you think it is? I think it is. I don't know if severe is the word, but if you're asking if it's common, yeah, it's common. Common to the point where I've gotten into it myself and had been a part of groupthink. It's inevitable on some level that um, we all get wrapped up in it. But I think there's a lot of groupthink in MMA media, which is which is understandable. If, 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 when peers talk to each other, there's a certain amount of influencing that happens. There's a certain amount of, um, you know, an Overton window that is built around what's acceptable to say, what's not acceptable to say in public and... Um, yeah, there's a lot of it, and you got to be really careful. And I try my best sometimes to not get involved in it, but of course, I'm a human being. I'm sure, I'm certain that I will. Seems like once a major narrative is set, no one wants to challenge it, i.e. T-Ferg versus Connor. I don't know. Seems to me like there's lots of people who want the DS fight, and there's some people to meet like me who want the, the Ferguson fight. Seems like there's a diversity of opinion there. there. I mean, I agree generally with the sentiment. I don't know that that situation is the best one. But the one thing that does kind of kill me is like to the to Jason Amati's question is, you know, you see people like, well, the big money fight is the Diaz fight. So that's probably what's going to happen. And almost like that's what should happen. I cannot be clear about this. I don't expect, you know, any individual one opinion to change the world. Do not ape back what some promoter or fighter or media member says if that's not what you believe or that's not what you want. If you want to see Diaz versus Conor, you have a strong appetite for it. Fine. If you want to see Tony Ferguson versus Connor and you have a strong appetite for it, say so. Don't just give in to the inertia of big fights. Say something. Speak up. The more you speak up and the more noise you make, the more it matters. Convince people, do something about it. But I just can't stand this being like, well, the fight that's gonna happen is the one that makes the most money, even though I don't want it. Well, then why are you? I mean, you're not telling me if, you're not you're not giving me to me some kind of Aristotelian wisdom here. You're not really shedding light on something, some deep mystery, inscrutable mystery of the universe. Yeah, of course. Big money tends to make the big decisions in life. I get that. But if that's not what you want, the headline there is not that that's going to happen. The headline is that goes against your interests. You should tell me what your interests are and you should tell me why. Any news on a potential Tisha Torres meet Mich- Michelle Waterson fight? No clue. Let's go back to the top. Huh? Connor and his fans are going to be shocked at how Tony Ferguson can take punishment. Nate Diaz-esque. I would agree. But he's also very vulnerable. So there's that as well. Um, Someone says, sweet Nile shirt. Yes, it is Nile. They were fun. I saw them at the Howard Theater. They're all fat and balding, but they're a good show. Uh, Someone says, your average BJJ tournament has more weight classes. Guys are still tempted to go lower for blue belt tourneys. It would do next to nothing. At the same time, though, you can cut weight for one of those things a little bit easier. I mean, you can have a hard cut, but the point being is you don't, you're you not getting punched in the head, so there's a little bit less risk. So it says, just give me 165 as a weight class, and I'll be happy. Uh, what? So it says, there's a, oh, this is Ant. There's a contrary argument in boxing. Temptation of just four more pounds to fight. A star or more beatable champ has resulted in tragedy. Interesting. I'm you know, talking about weight cuts. Weight cuts. If you have, you know, if you have, if you can just go a little bit further, a little bit further. You can make that fight. Then it's sort of tempted people to do that. This is why I think if you add another weight class, it's fine. I don't think it's the end of the world. I don't know that it would do a lot of good for business, and I don't know really solve the problem in any kind of real measurable way. But probably wouldn't hurt. More weight classes won't help weight cutting. More weight classes will help make interim belts less of a thing. That's interesting. But even that I'm not so sure is true. Let's do one more of these if we can. Luke, if you are looking into Arsenal's story and history, by no means watch Arsenal Fan TV. Why, wow, I love Arsenal Fan TV. Uh, and, Mr. T, uh, and Mr. DT, neither, are a true representative of Arsenal. I never thought that they were. He is a fickle fan who has an agenda against one of the best soccer managers worldwide. Good. Wenger should go. And best to ever manage Arsenal and actually become famous from it. Yeah, good. He's right. Wenger should go. And independent of anything Mr. DT says, Wenger the fuck out. Sorry, I'm completely in agreement with him. Uh, ADCC, hey, Luke, I'll say one. I I post any articles about ADCC, I did not. Uh, okay, that looks to be one more. One more. If GSP beats Bisping and then wins in the title defense, does that continue his title defense streak? Uh, no, because it wouldn't be the same title, but you could say in title fights, it's a little bit different. Um, Okay, so I have to go. Thank you guys so much for watching. Thumbs up uh, on the video, please. Subscribe to MMA Fighting below, please. And uh, there's no MMA this week, at least not on TV, but there might be some in your hometown. Go watch it. Go support local MMA. It will help enlighten your larger view of uh, MMA more generally, and you'll have a good time watching some people get brain damage, huh? All right. Appreciate you guys watching. I will talk to you next week, and until then, Here we go. Stay frosty.